Okay, so this week we are reading the Torah portion Lech Lecha. Now, every Torah portion has a name. And the names of the Torah portions aren't mentioned in the Talmud. The names of the books of the Talmud are mentioned in the Talmud, and therefore we know that they're Torah names and they're significant because the Torah says these are their names. And therefore we can learn the meaning of their names. And um, like for example, um, you know there's a custom between Pesach and Shavuos to learn Mesech Sota. Because there's 49 days between Pesach and Shavuos, so we do a tractate which has 49 pages. But if the tractate has 49 pages, every tractate begins with page two. So in tractate Sota, what are you doing on day one of, of the Omer? What are you learning? The answer is, is day one of the Omer, you're learning the name of the tractate. The name of the tractate is Sota. That's, that's page one. That's, that's, that's what you're learning. So the question is about the Torah portions. The Torah portions aren't, um, aren't mentioned in the Talmud. So do they have significance? Do they mean something? Or are they just names we use? So, it's an important question because it's not just a question about the name itself, it's also understanding the theme of each Torah portion, what it's about, and how, and how to classify the events of every Torah portion. Because the Baal Shem Tov says that whatever name you're given, that's the godly energy that, vital, that vitalizes you, that animates you, that creates you. That's who you are. So if, if there's a name of a Torah portion, that's its name, that means that that's what the Torah portion is all about, that's, that's what animates, that's the theme of the Torah portion. So, the truth is that even if there were no sources to the authenticity of the Torah portions, if they didn't say anything in the Torah about it, we would know that they have meaning, that it, that it is significant. Why? Because a custom of the Jewish people is Torah. So, since Jews are calling the Torah portions these names for for thousands of years, that means that these Torah portions are, the names of the Torah portions are significant. It's not just, oh, we needed to use names to try to differentiate one Torah portion from another, and therefore we use, oh, let's pick a name, but rather, the, the fact that these names were chosen, it's significant, as a proof of this is, in, in, is from last week's Torah portion, Parshas Noach. The first words of Parshas Noach are, Ele Toldos Noach. And we skip the second word, and we don't call the Torah portion Toldos. We call it Noach. And a few weeks later, in Parshas Toldos, it says, Ele Toldos Yitzchak. And we don't, told, we don't call the Torah portion Yitzchak, we call it Toldos. So that means, if we were trying to use a name of the Torah portion um, based upon the first few words of the Torah portion, then Noach should have been called Toldos, and Toldos should have been called, been called Yitzchak. But the, the real reason why we have um, names for each Torah portion, what the names really are about, is the real, is their inner meaning. It's a theme of the Torah portion. It's not just a way for us to differentiate between one Torah portion and another. And so, but more than that, it's not just a custom of the Jewish people. We see Rashi mentions the name of the Torah portions. The Rambam, Maimonides mentions the name of the Torah portions. So really, the Gdel Yisrael, the great sages of the Jewish people, um, they use those names. So, we need to understand something about this week's Torah portion. What does Lechacha mean? 
Lacha means, you know what it means? Hashem spoke to Avram, exactly. And Hashem told Avram, leave your father's house, leave your birthplace, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. So Lacha means to journey forward. So if that's, what, if, if that's what it's about physically, then the content, the inner meaning, the spirit of Lachacha is about going to a higher level, extending, not being satisfied where you are, going higher. And as the Alshech says, that the, word, the words Lach Lecha, which are usually translated as um, go for yourself, go for your own sake, go for your own benefit, as Rashi says, he translates it literally, go to you. Go, where should you go? Go to yourself. Why? Because by Avram listening to Hashem and leaving his father's house, he was going to connect to his deepest self, to his neshama, to his soul, to his, to his essence. So lech lecha is not just any kind of journey of advancement, any way of going higher, but lech lecha is about going to the highest places or the most innermost part of yourself, the essence of yourself. That's the theme of lech lecha. But here's the thing. If you look at the Torah portion, it's not all uh, peaches and cream. It's not all about advancement, about going higher and better. Look at this Torah portion, you find that there's, there is Avram's initial, initial departure from, from uh, going to Israel. But then what happens is, is that there's a hunger in the land. There's a hunger. So although Avram Avinu didn't question Hashem, as Medr says, he could, Hashem said, go to the land I'm going to show you, go to Israel. And he gets to Israel and it's impossible to live in Israel. He could have been like, hey, why did you just tell me? Why are you telling this to me? What's going on? Right? He could have had that, but he didn't. He passed the test. But it's still not a, um, a positive thing. Because although eventually he personally emerged with a... Um, with, if you will, a feather in his cap that he overcame the test that Hashem gave him. But as soon as he arrives in Israel, there's a hunger. And the uh, people in Israel could say, hey, you know why there's a hunger here? We were doing just fine until this Jew came. When the Jew came, then, everyone's, then there became this terrible um, situation where no one has any food. It's obviously it's the Jew's fault. It's the Jew who's causing all these problems. So, Avram's um, arrival in Egypt, I'm sorry, in Israel, wasn't um, just about his personal benefit. Yes, he, he had a, a um, he was personally elevated and he overcame the challenge, but it wasn't just about him. We see this in the Medrash. Medrash says, Hashem tells Avram, go for, I'll make your name great, right? Medrash says, you should go, Avram, why should you go? I'm going to make your name great. Now, that's like the last thing you, that Avram Avinu cares about. Avram said about himself, I am dust and ashes, I am nothingness, I am insignificant. Why would Avram Avinu care about his name being greater? He cares that he's going to be, have fame, and that doesn't, that doesn't interest him. So the Medrash gives a parable to explain this. The Medrash says that there was a, um, a bottle of, of perfume, and it was somewhere in the king's palace. And the king says, I want this bottle of perfume to be taken out of the palace and, 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 and so that everyone can benefit from its scent. So in a similar way, Hashem told Avram Avinu, your journey over here is not about you only, it's about publicizing Hashem's name in the world. It's about, it's about Hashem's name being great. It's not about him personally becoming famous. 
It's about godliness becoming recognized and godliness being appreciated and people starting to believe in God. That's the role of Ram Avinu's journey outside of um, to Israel. And yet, what happens as soon as he arrives in Israel? As soon as he arrives in Israel, there's a hunger and there is room to say that he caused this hunger. Besides the um, bad PR that he was experiencing himself and Hashem was experiencing by him arriving in Israel and there this it's not lechacha at all it seems not journeying forward at all it's, it's a great descent besides that there were many other things that happened in this week's Torah portion which seemed to be the opposite of going forward going higher it seems to be the opposite for example um, it says that on the way to um, when leaves Israel they go to Egypt what happens he says to Sarai he says now I know that you are beautiful how come you know she was beautiful before? So there's a famous teaching of the Baal Shem Tev, that Avram Avinu, every movement of Avram Avinu was in sync with the desire of Hashem. He was nothing other than a chariot to God's will. Nothing other than that. Only, only, every movement of Avram, every thought of Avram, every word of Avram, was what does Hashem want? However, when he came close to Egypt, he hadn't even arrived in Egypt. But he come, he's coming closer to Egypt. That already is a, um, affected him somewhat on his level. Obviously not in a level that um, we can be familiar with. But the language of the Baal Shem Tev is he started getting thoughts from external, from the, from the shvira, from the breaking of the vessels, things that are a product of a concealment of Galenius. So Avram Avinu is affected himself and he is, he is noticing things he didn't notice before because he arrives in Egypt. Because he's about, not even, before he even gets to Egypt. Now let's go further. Avram descends. Torah says he descends to Egypt. That's, that's, that's a descent. Not only that. What happens to Avram's wife, Sarai, when, they get, when she gets to Egypt? She's abducted. She's taken to the house of the Pharaoh. And although God protected her there and nothing happened to her, but being taken to the house of the Pharaoh itself is itself a big descent spiritually. How does that fit with Lachacha? And more, Hasidus says that... When, because Sarai was in, in the Pharaoh's palace, it actually imbued the Pharaoh's palace with something that didn't have before, spiritually. And it caused, what Kabbalah causes, it caused that the unholy should have nourishment. It should give nourishment to the unholy. So, so that's a huge descent. Not just Sarai personally is in this, in, she's abducted, she's captured, which is a huge problem. Besides that, she actually is causing nourishment by her presence, <coughs> it's nourishing the unholy. So that's also a great descent. So how are we, how we framing all of this as, a, as part of this Torah portion, which is lechacha, ascending, everything's amazing, better, great, seems to be exactly the opposite. So the answer is this. It says in the Torah, Whatever happened to our forefathers is a sign for us, their children. On the surface, what that means is, history repeats itself. What happened to Avram Avinu isn't just a, a occurrence that happened to him, but it's something that is a um, catalyst for what will happen in the future. I use the word catalyst, although the, the words in the Talmud are a sign for their children. The difference between the word sign and the word catalyst is that sign just means it, it, it's a sign that something else may happen later. But 
the word catalyst means that it's, it's causing it. It's causing it. And actually, that's the truth. What happened to our forefathers causes things to happen to us. As a similar discussion is about the laws of kosher. The signs of kosher animals and the signs of non-kosher animals. Are those signs um, just for us to determine which animals are kosher? Or do they actually have anything to do with the theme of what kosher is about? Nachmanides says you are what you eat. So it would seem that your um, you're, you're eating something is going to... Um, uh, eating something which is kosher or non-kosher, it, 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 it affects you. So Hasidus actually explains that whether or not the animal signs cause the animal to be kosher, or they're really a way for us to detect which animals are kosher, but those signs are significant in regards to how the food affects us. So it's not just a sign, it's something which, which speaks of what kosher is about. Or according to other opinion, it actually makes the animal kosher. So in a similar way over here, when it says Masa of a similabanim, that deeds of our forefathers are signed for the children, it's very significant. It's not just that it's a, a, a um, symbolizes what may happen later, it actually caused it to happen later. Avram goes down to Egypt. What happens generations later? The Jewish people go down to Egypt. Avram's children in Egypt are successful in protecting themselves from acting in an immoral way. And guess what? Sarai, generations before, she was also protected from, from anything happening to her immorally with the Pharaoh. So because she was protected and she was able to maintain her, her tznius, her modesty, regality in the house of the Pharaoh, that's what allowed her, her granddaughters in, in Egypt also be, to be protected. And they also them for not to be taken, um, God forbid, by the Egyptians. So it, was, it caused it. Sarah, Sarai being protected caused her granddaughters to be protected. Avram leaves the Pharaoh's house the Pharaoh is um, very impressed by the, the sudden illness that, that he and his, and his family are having as a result of Sarai's presence, as God told him. So what happens? He, he gives Avram lots of gifts. The gifts he gave him make Avram very wealthy. He leaves lots of wealth. So just like Avram left with wealth, what happens generations later? The Jewish people leave Egypt with great wealth. So it's not just that these events happen to Avram, they happen to happen to us. What, hap- what happens to Avram causes these events to happen in the future. What happens to Avram is a catalyst, some, something which causes, it, it informs, and it is a uh, preparation for the destiny of the Jewish people. So getting back to our question over here about the name of the Torah portion. The name of the Torah portion is ascending, better, higher, in the highest of ways, go to your essence, go to your core. Yet the Torah seems to be talking about the opposite, especially according to Nachmanides, looks at Avram's departure from Israel. He says you shouldn't have left Israel, which means that it was a mistake, according to Nachmanides. Obviously, mistakes for Avram Avinu would be mitzvahs for us, but on Avram's level, there was something that wasn't uh, 100% on his level. So, um, so how is all this part, the Torah portion, which means to ascend, to be better, to be higher, what's going on over here? So let's look at this from the prism of halacha. Halacha follows always the opinion of the Babylonian Talmud. The difference between the Babylonian Talmud as opposed to 
its counterpart, the Jerusalem Talmud. If you just look at it very briefly, you could see right away there's a huge distinction between them, huge difference. The Babylonian Talmud is full of questions and answers, back and forth, questions, answers, back and forth. The Jerusalem Talmud is just straight laws, straight halacha. Now, halacha follows the Babylonian Talmud. You know why? Because in order to get to the truth of halacha, you have to first be in the dark first. The Talmud says it this way. You cannot understand the Torah unless you misunderstand it first. Amazing, right? If you're the best student and you understand it right away, you're not going to get it. What's going to allow you to understand the Torah? To understand the Torah, you have to first misunderstand the Torah. Your, your, your mistakes in Torah, the, ones, the things that you don't get, that will allow you to actually connect with Torah at a deeper level that you'll be able to get to the essence of Torah. Your, your uh, preliminary assessment of a of subject, erroneous preliminary assessment, will catapult you to the core of the subject. If you got it right away, it's like two students. The Rebbe Rashab says there's two students. One student is a very gifted. He gets the subscribe matter right away. Another student is not so gifted. And he has to work hard. The Rebbe Rashab says it's a student who has to work hard, who, who, who will probe deeper and get to the essence of the subject. So the question that the Babylonian Talmud presents is actually part of the halachic process. It's part of the journey to the halacha. It's not something other than the halacha. It's part of the halacha. It's what brings us to the halacha. It's a descent, it's a concealment, which brings us to the essence of the subject. It brings us to the core. So in a similar way, all of the things that we're learning about Avram descending, going lower, spiritually, to him, to Sarait, all these things that happen to Avram are actually a preparation for Avram's ascent, and therefore they're considered part of the ascent. It's not, it's not that Avram first descends and later has a, he, he's elevated after his ascent, but since all of these mistakes that happened, Avram, according to Nachmanis, he made a mistake. Even that is part of his journey upwards. So therefore it's not classified as a descent, it's classified as lechacha, as an ascent. This tells us something about what's going on in the world. The Rebbe said that a person looking at the world, so look at the darkness of the world, he may get very discouraged. But the truth is that whatever is happening in the world, every descent that's happening in the world is, is only by Hashem's hand. And because it's from Hashem's hand, it is for the purpose of, the, of an ascent. It's not, it's not darkness for the sake of darkness. Like we know in the Torah, when Hashem created light and darkness, it says Hashem, I mentioned this uh, two weeks ago, it says Hashem called the light day, and the night was called, was, and the darkness was called night. The light was called day, and the dar- he called the light day, and the darkness was called night. It doesn't say Hashem called the darkness night. Because Hashem's goal is not darkness. Hashem's goal is light. And the darkness is just there as a preparation for the light. And therefore, whatever's going on, to realize that it's all about, as when God made the world, he made darkness and he made light, and it was one day. The purpose was that there should be day, there should be revelation, there should be the everlasting goodness and happiness of the coming Mashiach, the everlasting Simchas Torah. That's a purpose. And so temporarily, we're, we're, we're in the dark to realize it's not happening by itself. But we look out in the world and we see the, the rise of anti-Semitism in the college campuses in a way that, that, that's, that we never would have thought in a million years. In Harvard, they'd be marching to, 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 to kill the Jews. And that's happening. And, and we have to realize it's not happening by itself. It's hap- is, whatever's happening is part of the coming of Mashiach. And therefore, uh, got to hold on. Got to be strong. Got to have lechacha. Ascend in ourselves higher and higher until we'll see Hashem 
as you told Avram, I'm going to take you from your birthplace, take you from your father's house, and we'll bring you to Israel. So to this Torah portion is about Hashem bringing, to, uh, bringing us, as all the signs of the Torah point, to our generation, means the time of Mashiach, this Torah portion is a message to us. Hashem is telling us, leave where you are, it's time for the redemption, it's time for Mashiach. L'chaim, l'chaim, l'chaim. Yeah, go ahead. Any questions or comments? All right. Yeah. A great day, observe. Great day, Dr. Bresson. Great day, Blake. Great day, Abel. Literate.